I'm preaching a bit different sermon this morning than I'm a little out of my comfort zone. I'm not sure there is a comfort zone there, but um, I've been asked to have a series of a series of messages at some weekend meetings up in Strasburg, uh, Pennsylvania, a month from now, and they asked me to give three messages, and all of them are character studies. I've never done a character study like this before, so it was a bit of a stretch, and it is one, a bit of a stretch, but I felt like this is where I was supposed to begin, um, and I guess I'll try it out on my home congregation before I take this message to that, to that congregation. The title of the message this morning is Abigail the Peacemaker. And as I looked at this story, there's just one, basically one chapter in the Bible that talks about Abigail. She's mentioned several other places in Scripture. And just a side note there, um, I don't know why this is, but everywhere else that she's mentioned in the Bible, she's mentioned as Abigail, the wife of Nabal. Nabal was her first husband, and of course in this in this chapter, we'll find that she gets married to David. I don't know why it's that way, but it is that way. It's just an interesting thing I found. But this morning, basically, everything we'll be looking at is from 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 to 42. That's our text. And there's three key people in this story. Though we will, Abigail is the one we'll take, who we want to learn the most from. There's, we'll learn a lot from three different people. There's two foolish and impetuous men and one very wise woman. Now, each of these characters can give us some lessons for life. I want to start by reading verses 1 to 3 for an introduction to these three characters. And I'm going to read, everything I'm going to read this morning is out of the NIV. Uh, so hopefully the, the story flows a little better in our minds. 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 to 3. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved into the desert of Maon. A certain, a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats, three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. So we have three characters mentioned in these three verses. The first character is David. Now, to understand the story, we need to understand what David was going through at that time. Samuel had just died, and you know the story of David, you know that Samuel was a huge influence in David's life. He's the one that anointed David. He's the one that called him, or God called him through Samuel. So David had just lost a friend and a mentor. And I'm sure that dealing with grief and questions were going through David's mind like, God, who do I turn to now? And how am I ever going to go on without Samuel's wisdom and counsel? I've got 600 men looking at me for leadership. Who do I turn to? Because Samuel had been the person that David had turned to all his life, or, or all his, ever since he was called. And I'm sure David probably wasn't thinking as clearly or rationally 
in this story as he should have been because of that grief. Because of those questions. Then we have Nabal. Nabal is rich, he's proud, and he's self-centered. And lastly, we have Abigail, Nabal's wife, who was beautiful, wise, and extremely humble. Amazing woman. And we look at, let's look at Nabal for a little bit. Nabal was rich. Verse 2 gives us his basis for his wealth. He had, let me read that again, he had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. And I did a little research today, a good average market for a good sheep or a good goat. They're kind of on well, the same market, best uh, market report I could come up with, somewhere around $200 an animal. And at that market value today, if he sold all his flocks right out outright, it'd be $800,000 worth of animals that he had. And I'm sure he had a lot. There's other uh, wealth that he had accumulated, but just his animals he has reported here was somewhere around $800,000 worth. Now, riches don't have to ruin a person. Some people, um, God has gifted them with much wealth, and they use it very wisely. But it seems like they had a very negative effect on Nabal. And first lesson that we can learn from Nabal is that one, selfishness and pride are the destroyers of peace. Remember, our message is about Abigail, the peacemaker. The second lesson we learn is that wealth is the seedbed for selfishness and pride. When we are self-sufficient, We've got it all together. We have enough money to deal with any problem we face. We become selfish and proud. That's almost without fail. It's human nature. Now, we don't know all the details about Nabal. We don't know all that transpired in his life uh, to make him the kind of man he was. It says he was surly and, uh, how does it, uh, I think NIV, or King James says surly and some other word there. Um, the, oh, this uh, the, this uh, surly and mean in his dealings. We don't know what made him like that. We don't know how hard his, he had worked to gain his wealth or how difficult his childhood was or any of the other excuses that today we hear people giving for their shortcomings or maybe even we like to give for our shortcomings. You know, well, this is the way I was treated growing up, so this is the way I am now, and this is who I am. We don't know those things. But that really doesn't matter. His past and his circumstances will never change what was recorded in history about him. And neither will our past and our circumstances change what people remember about us. They may say, well, he went through hard times, but he still became this person. But if they think negatively about you for some reason or about me, they generally aren't going to say, well, you know, he's that way because of the past. We'll just give him, a, we'll excuse him. It's not the way it is. We cannot blame who we are or what we do in our past. We'll find later in the story that Nabal died with a heart of stone. He hardened his heart one too many times, and that's how he died. Actually, the, the King James Version says his heart turned to stone. Other versions would say he became like a stone. I think he had a severe heart attack, didn't, but didn't die for about 10 days. He just became basically immobilized, ends up dying at the end of the story. 
So that's our three people, David, Abigail, and Nabal. So now we have David's request. It's the first part of the message. Let's read on in the story. Let's read verses um, 4 to 11 at this point. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered, David's servants? Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their master these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where? Stop there. What a response. Well, David needed a lot of food to support his 600 men. And with his manpower, he easily could have taken whatever food he wanted from people. And he could have done it from Nabal. But David was very careful how he went about asking for Nabal's support. He sent these ten, ten young men with a very clear message. And this is how you approach Nabal, and this is how what you say. You go in my name, and you say these things, and you um, be very diplomatic and, and kind in how you ask him. He was, and he sent young men. He wasn't trying to make this a competition between him and Nabal. It was simply asking for this help from him. And he sent them with a very warm and kind greeting. We find that in verse 6. Long life to you, good health to you and your household, good health to all that is yours. He was very careful and kind in his greeting. And he did not ask for a certain amount. He only asked for what Nabal could easily spare. And he gave Nabal a very clear reason for his request. He reminded him of how he and his men had protected Nabal's shepherds and livestock when they grazed close to them at Carmel. At this time, the Philistines were a constant threat. Of, they would try to sneak in and do little raids here and there. And the shepherds were fairly unprotected. I mean, there wasn't a lot of shepherds out there. And if you know, a group of men came in and tried to steal their sheep. They couldn't do a lot about it. So when they were with David, he and his, or in that area, he and his men were a protection to them. And furthermore, David had not taken anything from his Nabal's shepherds or flocks when they very easily could have. And he validated his request to Nabal by telling Nabal to ask his shepherds if that was, was true. David was very careful how and when he asked Nabal. He was respectful, kind, and congenial. And I'm sure he expected a bit of the same treatment in return. But that's not what he got. Let's look at Nabal's reply. Let's re re read verses 10 and 11 here. 
Again, Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Now we see Nabal's true character starting to come out. The truth was that he knew very well who David was. Let's turn back a chapter, and I want to read uh, chapter 24, verses 20 to, tw- 20 to 22. 1 Samuel 24, verses 20 to 22. Now, what had transpired here, David had just had Saul's life in his hand. He could have easily killed Saul, and he didn't. And this is Saul's, part of what Saul says to David. I know that you will surely be a king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So that had just transpired. Shortly after that, Samuel died. And all it said all Israel came together to mourn for Samuel. When, when there's a political unrest like there was at this time, this being said, what, you know, Saul telling David, I know you're going to be the next king. You think that was kept quiet? I doubt it. I imagine that was pretty well spread about what happened there. And everybody in the country knew the contest what was going on. They had to. So for for Nabal to say, who's this David? He knew who he was. was, It was a slap in David's face. So by acting like he did, it was a big insult to David. Then he insulted him even worse by equating him to a rebellious servant. David wasn't a servant. He had... Look at all the things he had done. He killed Goliath. He had done all these different things. He wasn't a servant. He was a leader of 600 men. So Nabal turned this request into an opportunity to insult David. Nabal was not only self-centered or proud, he was insulting and controlling. So we have David, a little bit unstable emotionally probably, from Samuel's death and grief and the weight of his leadership position. And then he gets this thrown in his face. Now we'll read David's response. Let's read verses 12 and 13. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. About 400 men men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. David's immediate reaction was revenge. Now remember when a few minutes ago I said there are two foolish and impetuous men in this story. Well, David was the second one. David is not making a rational decision here. I don't know if his grief um, contributed to the bad reaction, but there was nothing good that could have come out of David's reaction. 
If David would have fulfilled what he was telling his men to do and what he was going to do here, there was nothing good that could have come out of it. Nabal had not actually done anything wrong. He had insulted David, but that wasn't anything that you murder a man for. David was rashly responding to his own wounded pride. And he did not seek God's counsel. As far as we know, he did not seek God's counsel or direction in this matter. And Leviticus 19.18, which would have been in the law before I mean, David would have um, probably been taught this. Leviticus 19.18 says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear grudge against the, against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. David had been taught how to respond in situations like this probably, but he wasn't responding correctly at all. Ultimately, his plan of retaliation would have given him a reputation of a murderous man to be feared instead of a godly leader. A man to be feared instead of a godly leader who follows God's direction. And the men following him were looking to him for leadership and protection. And he was risking their lives because of his own hurt feelings. How often do we do the same thing? Men, we have a lot to learn from David's reactions. This challenged me, really challenged me, because I see myself in David's shoes here sometimes. In, my, in the past, and I hope never in the future, but I know a man's character. David was a typical man, and most of us face the same things he did, the way we react to things. But number one, never let insults control us. Never respond in anger. And always seek God's counsel before we react to a situation. Let God deal with those that are against us. Defending our pride will only lower us in the eyes of those watching us. David's reaction to that, if he would have been murdered Nabal and his men, his men would have seen through that. Romans 12, 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And we see that very clearly in this story. God did take revenge for David. David didn't have to do it. And neither do we. David's response of rage was wrong. Now we have Abigail's response. Let's read verses 14 to 31. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. 
David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing, he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is Fool. And folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master. Because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and his appointed and has appointed him leader over Israel. My master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. So Abigail in this, in this passage demonstrates several outstanding qualities in this brief bit of history we have about her. Number one, Abigail relied on wisdom instead of feelings. She was wise enough to understand David, to understand how David would respond to Nabal's insults and his actions. She knew how men tick. Okay, she was a wise woman, and she knew he wasn't going to take that insult and just ignore it. Now, we don't know that anybody had told her what David was thinking or that he was actually coming to destroy them because of what had just happened. But she knew, because of her wisdom, she knew what was going to happen. She knew how David would respond. The second thing, she did something about the situation. She went to action. Instead of whining to Nabal, crying or running away, she thought through her options and did what she could. She raided her pantry, loaded her donkeys, and headed out. Now, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that Abigail would have had a lot to do with the preparation of all this food. And it would have been a lot of hard work for her, I'm sure. Plus, she had servants to help. But as the lady of the house... I'm sure she was very involved with this. So she had some sweat equity tied up in this, in what she was just going to give away. But for the sake of peace, she was willing to sacrifice her hard work. And I did just a little estimating and calculating, and I'm guessing this is somewhere at least two to $3,000 worth of groceries, maybe a little more to, in today's prices. 
she was making quite a contribution to David and his men. Third thing she did is she personally went to find David. She didn't send her servants. She was serious about this trying to make peace. And the fourth was when she met David, she showed great humbleness. Let's look at verse 23 again. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Talk about great humbleness. Who of us would have acted like that? And second, or the sixth thing she did, I'm sorry, the fifth thing she did, she took personal responsibility for Nabal's actions. Even though she had nothing to do with them, she took, her, she took his actions, her husband's actions, to David as if it was her own, her own fault. Number six, she was straightforward and honest about her husband's failures. But I want you to notice something. She could have spent a lot of time berating Nabal and running him down and saying how horrible of a husband he was and all these bad things about Nabal. You don't find that in, in Abigail. She was honest. She said, Nabal's a fool. And then she went on. She did not take to spend time running Nabal into the dirt. Number seven, in verse 28, she asked personally asks David for forgiveness. Let me read that again. I'm struggling a little bit with this Bible. It's not my normal one because it's an NIV and I have a little harder time finding my, my verses here. Verse 28, please forgive your servant's offense. And that servant she is talking to, I mean, he's she's talking about his, herself as I understand that verse. The offense of not making sure this was taken care of. And the eighth thing she did, she recognized God's call on David and affirmed that call and blessed David for it. She was affirming who David was. In the process of peace, that's very important. Affirming the other person. The ninth thing she did, and the only favor she asks of David in return, is that he remembers her when God brings him into success. That's all she asked for. Now, there are many life lessons we can learn from Abigail. And I'd like to mention a few that I've thought about as I studied this account. And I'm sure you will probably think of many more. But number one, when peace is lost, do what you can to restore it. She went into action, and she did what she could. She could have, there, she had so many other options. She could have cried, she could have fell apart, she could have went to Nabal and whined to him. She could have tried to change Nabal. No, she did what she could. Number two, personally invest in the peace process. Invest time, money, whatever it takes to bring about peace. 
Number three, follow the path of wisdom and do not rely on emotion or feelings. This is very hard when there is conflict between two people, especially when it's between yourself and another person. It's very hard to respond without following your feelings. But she did not. She, she followed the path of wisdom. Number four, be honest about others' failures, just like she was about Nabal. She was honest about who he was. But don't focus on them or run them down. She did not unduly run Nabal into the dirt. When we run others down, it reflects more on who we are than who they are. Don't play the blame game if you're trying to bring peace. Number five, communicate, communicate clearly with the adversary. In this case, David was the adversary until she talked to him. Number six, be humble. I don't know if there's any way that Abigail could have portrayed humbleness in this situation more than she did. And if we want peace with someone, if we go with pride and arrogance and self-centeredness, it will never generate peace. It just doesn't. Humbleness is the key, one of the key ingredients in bringing peace between two individuals. Number seven, apologize for any part you had in the disagreement. Readily admit any part that you had. She had no part in what happened, but yet she still took the blame to try to bring about peace. Number eight, recognize the value of the other person and also the validity of their grievance. When you are in conflict with another person, if that person doesn't feel like you value them or that their grievance matters, they're not going to hear you. She understood that. Validate the other person in their grievance. You may not agree with them, but validate it. Number nine, be clear about your reason for the involvement in the situation. Maybe it's between two other people. But communicate clearly why you're interested in this peace process. And number 10, bless the other person in any way that you honestly can. David, I mean, Abigail blessed David for, what, for the call that she knew that was on his life. She found a way to bless him. Brother Clinton gave us, the other Wednesday night, gave us a recipe for um, going to someone. He said you give them a nice fluffy piece of bread, a good compliment, and you gave them the meat of the sandwich. Look, this is what is going on, and maybe you ought to deal with it. And then you give them a nice fluffy piece of bread on top. I forget uh, what he called that. But anyway, a sandwich of, um, of some sort. But anyway, I thought about that when I was reading about this. And that's sort of what Abigail did. She gave David a compliment. She blessed him for who he was. Now let's look at the results of her actions. Let's read verses 32 to 42. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to, today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed. 
this day and for and from avenging myself with mine own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, she w- he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord, who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong, and he has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, <clears throat> excuse me, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and, at, and said to, Neb- to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, Here's your maidservant, ready to serve you and wash the feet of my master's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five maids, went with David's messengers and became his wife. What a outcome for Abigail's efforts. Abigail's wisdom and pursuit of peace saved many lives that day. David was kept from shedding innocent blood, and he readily admits that in those verses we just read. Praise be to God who has kept me from shedding innocent blood because of Abigail's pursuit of peace. Nabal's heart was turned to stone and he died. God still dealt with Nabal. David didn't need to deal with Nabal. God will take care of that. Abigail became the wife of one of the most well-known men in all of history. Abigail never lost her humbleness. If you look at verse 41, she was ready to wash the feet of David's servants. Humbleness is the key to the peace process. If you want to be a peacemaker, you're going to need to be humble. So what about you and I today? We have the Holy Spirit's guidance and we proclaim to be the people of peace following the Prince of Peace. How are we doing? Which of the characters in this story would others say that I am most like? A phrase that came to my mind many times as I studied this, it's a phrase that we've told our children, or asked our children over and over. Are you being a peacemaker or a pieces maker? You're either tearing it down or you're building it up. Let's be peacemakers. Let's have a song.